Well, this is the final installment in this series, and this one is under the title, Living Today as Citizens of Heaven. So how do you live today in the light of the knowledge that you're going to be in heaven? How should you live? And the passage we're going to look at is a few texts out of Philippians chapter 3. And if you want to look there, it's on page 981 on that table Bible. And you see we've got a new series coming from Matthew chapter 5 uh, that will begin after this series. So in Philippians 3 verse 1, Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. And then down to verse 12, where Paul says, or let's go to verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share uh, his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And in verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me, in keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the examples that you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross, their end is destruction, Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame and with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So the passage is giving us instructions on how we're to live today, but how we're to live today in light of our actual citizenship being in heaven. We have a number of New Testament texts that use that idea that we are citizens of heaven. I think the first thing that I would want to say to you as you look at this passage of Scripture and you look at the testimony of the entirety of the New Testament of what does it mean to live as a Christian after the resurrection and ascension of the Lord is simply this one word, live. That's the key thing. God created us in the garden to live, and the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ, and the call upon us as Christians in this day is to live, to live in the light of all that God has provided, to live in the light of the future that's before us, and to live in a way that is 
to witness to people around us that are still in spiritual darkness. They need to see that we have a life and that we are enjoying every day of this life because of our relationship with Christ. So the first thing is that we're to live. Now, if we were to look at the book of Hebrews in the second chapter, verse 14, it says something like, Because the children share in flesh and blood, he, Christ, likewise partook of the same, partake of flesh and blood, in order that he might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Now, that's talking about the way people live that are outside of Christ. Without Christ, they live in the fear of death, and they're subject to that slavery in their mind that what's going to happen when I die? Am I going to just disintegrate, or am I going to meet God in judgment? But for us, we are to live with no real fear of death because Christ Jesus has lived in the body and now is seated in heaven at the right hand of God in this glorified body that you see as it talks about in this Philippians 3.20, like his glorious body. His glorious body is with God the Father, seated at his right hand in heaven. That's our surety. When we see his body there, then we know for certain that if we have our faith in Christ, that we will bodily appear before our God in heaven, united to Christ. In Colossians 1 verse 5, it talks about the Christians of that city. Now, it said that they had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not merely saving faith, but the faith to do the right things all throughout the day. All throughout the day, you have choices on what you're going to do. Are you going to live faithfully in obedience to Christ and discipleship to Christ, or are you going to break faith and go your own way? He's not talking about merely saving faith, but he says that these Christians in this city had a faith, an active faith, a day-to-day living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they also had a love for all the brethren. Later on, Paul in that epistle says, there's no distinction between Jew or Gentile, between Scythian, uh, barbarian, slave, or free. All are one in Christ. The people in Colossae knew that. They accepted one another because one another were in Christ. Now, they said, why do they have this kind of faith? Why do they have this kind of love? Well, here it is again. Because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. The hope laid up for them in heaven. At the end of the chapter, it's going to say this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So because Christ is in heaven, and that's certain for us, then we should live the moments of our days with this active, obedient kind of faith and with this kind of genuine and sincere love for one another. We're going to be with each other for a good, long, 
might get room next to me. You need <laughs> as, as some people will say in our day and age, you just got to get used to it. So <laughs> it may happen. But we live today because we, we live in faith today because Christ is in heaven. We live today knowing that to die is gain. Paul can say this in Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ. We live for Christ's purposes, for Christ's glory, for Christ's adulation. Uh, and if we die in the midst of this, what is it but for us but gain, solid gain? We move into the presence of the Lord. Our catechism tells us that at his death, the believer uh, is made immediately perfect in righteousness, that his uh, soul immediately per, uh, is presented to the presence of God, that our body still being united to Christ remains in the grave until the day of resurrection. But much gain. Think of all the thoughts you, you didn't want to think yesterday. Just think about it. And just think you'll never think that way ever again. <laughs> now, I, I kind of like that. I, I've got a lot of thoughts that need to be in line with that. Well, ultimately, this is going to be a reality. We live as citizens in the heaven today living, the idea is living, knowing that our past is really behind us. Now, Paul can say it this way in a verse that many of us have memorized in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Three times in that verse, Paul says, I live. Now we need to kind of have the light bulb go off and if we're going to imitate Paul, being an imitator of Paul is to have a keen sense that we are to be alive every day. We're not to be these people dragging around. We're not to be these fearful people. We're not to be these people that think about the past. What can you do about the past? Well, nothing. Right now I'm talking to a, a couple um, in the situation. They're not here. They're in Atlanta. But the mother did something that was bad. Got thrown in jail. And that's not good. Got a young child. Well, parole just ended. That's pretty good. Jail time's over, parole's over. The daughter is not happy with the mama. You know what she's not happy with the mama about? Let me tell you what she's not happy with the mama about. The mama can't get over the fact that she did something that was so bad that got her thrown in jail. And it's affecting the family life today. And the daughter is saying, can't you what? Get over it. Now, we look at this, this is a very real situation. I deal with this. There are things that happened in the past. How can you live 
if you've got this strapped to you, you can't live for Christ's glory and be a testimony to his grace. You're basically saying, I don't believe it's in the past. Paul's telling us in Galatians 2.20, all that stuff I did about about persecuting the church, I was crucified with Christ. I died to my past. Now I live, I live, I live. We need to see that. What does it mean to live as a citizen of heaven today? It means not to live in the past, but to live in the present with a keen eye on the future. We know in this passage that we're looking at, Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're looking for a time when God is going to translate us and then a later time when our bodies will be transformed and the glorious reality of our souls being made perfect in righteousness is going to be reunited with a body that is like the Lord's glorious body. Think of it. I know you guys got, and gals have got ideas of what a glorious body is like, but just forget that idea. It's something different, okay? It's something different. It's a glorious body like the Lord's with a soul that is made perfect in righteousness, and the two of them are together. That's going to be like. But that's what it's talking about. We live today because God the Holy Spirit has breathed into us the breath of spiritual life and caused us to be born again to a new and living faith. You have been born again into this life which will finally totally be realized in heaven and when Christ returns. But it's been begun in you now. That's the way you're to live today as a citizen of heaven. Think of it this way. Second thing I'd like to say. We live today in union with Christ who is in heaven. Now, if that's the way it was and I said to you, okay, this is your job. You're going to go out there and you're going to think about it. I am living today because I know I'm united to my Lord and Savior who is seated at the right hand of God in heaven. Well, you would say, I don't think I'm going to do a very good job at this because I'm going to think about what I'm thinking about, and I'm not going to be thinking about that, so I guess I can't really do this as good as you can, John. Maybe you need to give me some more coaching. I can't do it any better than you can. But look at this. This living in union with Christ Jesus in heaven can be turned around and said the more true aspect is this. We live in union with Jesus Christ's life in heaven, and he is united to us on earth. Christ in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, is mediating his life from up, from himself to us on earth. That's the union that really is going to count, not that we can keep this in mind all the time, but that the reality that he who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Our 
Lord Jesus Christ is in constant mediation for us here on earth. He does all of these things for us in heaven. So we live in the light of this union. Now, we're united to the things that Christ accomplished for us while he was on earth. Now, I'm going to make a distinction here. There are things that Christ accomplished for us while he was on earth. We need to think about these things over and over again. Then we need to think about how these things come to us because Christ has, ex has been exalted to heaven at the right hand of God. Now, in this manner on earth, what did Jesus do as he lived every day of his life on earth. He obeyed the law of God. He obeyed the will of God. He did all things perfectly, sinlessly. Now, he did that on earth. He did this for you. He did this for me. That his record of perfection would be our record given to us as we are united to him in faith. That's one thing. Concerning our sin. We live in the glorious freedom of the children of God because of the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. When Christ died on the cross, his blood was our redemption price. Now we have been set free to the glorious liberty of the children of God. We're set free from the bondage to sin's penalty, sin's curse, and sin's power. We've been set free. Now that helps us to understand that verse that Jesus said, whom the Lord sets free will be free indeed. That's what it's talking about. He accomplished that on earth. We live in the light of God's peace, the peace that passes all understanding and keeps our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus because of the reconciling work that Jesus did on the cross. He has become our peace, the peace that's to permeate your mind and your heart. We talk about we live because we live in the love and the favor of a holy father because Jesus is our propitiation. He has removed the wrath of God that was due us because of our sins, and he has established the love and favor of the father because God's no longer angry with anyone who is in Christ Jesus. We're in his love and his favor. Then we live in the light that our conscience has been cleansed from dead works by the blood of Christ to serve the living God. Now think of that, your conscience cleansed from dead works. Now put these four things together, and you go to a verse like Hebrews 10.22. If you want to make a mental note of Hebrews 10.22, it's a great verse. I call this verse God's Maytag. Now, when we think of a Maytag, Sears and Roebuck washing machine ad from the 1950s until about two years ago when they changed the ad campaign, 
What did we know about a Maytag washer? What? It never breaks. So think that you're in God's Maytag. You're like me. I told you about the time this one guy and I were messing around on a roof. He got all hacked off at me. And then he decided, he says, we're just a bunch of jerks. I thought, well, I can relate to that. Probably you can too. You don't intend to do the things that happen, but they happen, don't they? All right, now what happens? What's God doing with us? Well, he has us in his Maytag. And by, my son showed up here. Now I'm kind of fearful to use the illustration that I was going to use. But when Pat goes to work on Saturday mornings, I wash stuff in her washing machine that, mm-mm-mm, she, mm, no, no. But I put things in that washing machine, and I got some chemicals, and I pour a little of this in there, and I pour a little of that in there, and something else in there, and I let that thing rock and roll. And stuff comes out, and it's wonderful. Now, when it's all over, I'll run another load through of just water and soap to wash that out. I want you to know that. <laughs> I try and clean up the evidence. But you know something? You and I are like that stuff that I throw in there. I don't, the junk. But God takes the chemical of his redemption in Christ and he pours a little of that in the water. He takes a little bit of the chemical of the propitiation of Christ. He pours that in the water. A little bit of the cleansing blood of Christ and sacrifice in the water. A little bit of the, you know, propitiatory blood of Christ in it. And he starts the old thing going. And it never breaks. And you're being washed by the benefits of the blood of Christ all the time. Now, he accomplished these things on earth. When he ascended into heaven, he poured out the Holy Spirit upon us. And the Holy Spirit has come to accomplish in us everything that Jesus Christ came to accomplish for us. Turn it around. The Holy Spirit comes to take everything that Christ Jesus has accomplished for us and to accomplish it in us. And the Holy Spirit's working in our lives all the time. He never stops. You're developing from one degree of glory to another degree of glory until the day you see the Lord. So these are the things that have been accomplished by Christ on earth that are now being mediated into our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now to live in union with Christ in the benefits that come to us because Christ Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God. What has he brought to us since he has ascended into heaven? Well, in sending us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit calls us to faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're like me, I can tell you, remember at John Knox Presbyterian Church, I was probably four years old. We just moved from South Florida to Central Florida in Orlando. I came home from Sunday school. I said to my mom and dad, I know who I am. I'm John 316. I don't know who he is. 
I pointed to my brother. His name was Ralph. I didn't know no verse that began with Ralph. <laughs> now, here I was. I knew that at, at, at age four. But it wasn't age till about 22, 23 that I became a Christian. I was hearing all kinds of stuff all along the lines, going to church camps, VBSs, one thing or another. But then at age 23, the Holy Spirit came. And he said, okay, it's time to wake up. I'm going to breathe into you the breath of life, and you're going to become a new person. You're going to be born again. Well, he called me. The Holy Spirit called me. And when he called me, he gave me new life. He regenerated me. That's called being born again. Then he gave me the ability to have faith in Christ Jesus and repentance from all of my sin. And I did. I just walked away from it. It was just an amazing thing. But then you see here, if you look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, a verse many of us memorize, but it says this, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Now, he who began a good work in you is the Spirit's work of uniting us to Christ to where we're justified from all of our sin. He began a good work in you. He will complete it. That's the work of sanctification. So Jesus is sanctifying us through the Holy Spirit. Then you have until the day of Christ Jesus. That's glorification. And the work is assured. The one who began the good work in you will keep working in you, and then he's going to complete this work in you on the day of Christ Jesus. How do we live? We are to live in union with Christ. There's none of this stuff of going our own way in the world as a Christian. But we, we live as those people who have this knowledge, we have faith, we have hope, we have love, and we just have to think about these things throughout the day. We have to kind of rehearse these things. I do all kinds of pretty dumb things. I mean, I can offend you. I can do it. I, I ask your forgiveness. I ask the Lord's forgiveness. I believe that he forgave me. I'm not sure about you. Well, I hope. <laughs> we forgive one another. We move on. What's God doing in me? One degree of glory, another degree of glory, because we're united to Christ. What are we to do? We're to live. Now, I'm talking about us sometimes being not so smart like this, but think of it. Martin Luther used to tell his people this, now that you're justified, go and sin boldly. Now, what did he mean? Did he mean go out and just be licentious? He meant go out and live. You're going to stumble. You're going to bumble. You're going to fall. What does the ski instructor say to the neophyte on the slopes? What is the neophyte trying to keep from doing when he's on his snow skis? What? Falling. And what does the ski instructor tell him? If you're not falling, you're not learning. You've got to be free. You've got
got to live. But when you live and you bumble and you stumble and you fall, it's all a part of God's way of making us more like Christ. Third thing, we're to live an acceptable service to Christ Jesus, and we're to do this in reverence and awe. You see this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. How do we live as citizens of heaven? Psalm 100 said it this way, serve the Lord with gladness. We're here to serve the Lord. You've been bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. Don't do things with your body that don't glorify God. We, we're, we're called to live as citizens of heaven. Well, we're called to live as citizens of heaven here on earth by serving one another. The famous passages all through Paul's letters, we're to be loving one another, we're to serve one another, we're to give to one another, we're to pray for one another, we're to build one another up, we're to do one another. You cannot stand alone and grow as a Christian. You have to be in this one another. And in this one another, we are got to understand that's God's way he has for us to serve one another. I'm out there talking to Lolly Bragg last week in the nursing home. I get a phone call, and here's uh, somebody over here at the Coliseum Hospital. Their car won't start. She said, I can't get any of my men. They're not available. Can you go? I says, bye, Lolly. I'll see you next week. Prayed with her, zipped over here. Here's the lady. She's got her hood up. I looked down there. I thought, well, it's pretty nice she had the hood up, but she didn't have to take the battery ground off the, you know, ground wire off the battery. And I looked down there, and I says, she looks, and she sees it at the same time I see it, and she says, boy, am I stupid. I could have seen that. So I took the battery thing, put it back on there, started the car up, tightened it down with a wrench, and away she goes. You know, I hate to say it, Calvin back there could attest it, when, when they were all real young, there was just kind of a little mantra. Something would break, and the next words would be, Daddy, fix it. It almost became a little cliche in the family, Daddy, fix it. Probably that's going to be my life in heaven, fixing stuff. Your life is going to be like that. Something about what's going on right here today is going to be what you see there and then in heaven. But we serve one another, and we find out what that one thing is in our life that makes us a contribution on earth, and it's living out our citizenship in heaven while we're on earth. We're to be surprised by joy at all times. Is that what Paul says? Rejoice in the Lord. How many times in the book of Philippians? Rejoice, rejoice. You know, sorry, Georgia fans, but remember a few years ago when Georgia Tech beat Georgia between the hedges? Buddy Byers was the quarterback that year for Tech. You know, the Tech people were pretty long in the face until the end of the fourth quarter. <laughs> At the end of the, what, wouldn't it have been nice if somebody could have played that out for the Georgia Tech fans so they could have enjoyed the whole game? 
knowing that what was going to happen at the end was going to change everything. We know what's going to happen at the end. We need to be able to smile at all of this stuff that's happening to us and rejoice, not in what happened, but what God's going to do. And it's going to be realized. Let your light shine. Your light shines at places where my light will never shine. My light shines in places where your light will never shine. As citizens of heaven, our light is to shine in such a way that people see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. One last thought. I had a lot to develop here. I'm just going to leave it. In heaven, our principal duty is to worship. Your principal duty on earth is to worship. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. You can ram, you can cram, you can jam as much as you want in for six days. But that seventh day is for the Lord. He wants your heart. He wants your mind. It's your reasonable service of worship. He wants you on that day. He doesn't want a part of you like he gets the other six days. He wants all of you on that day. That's the day for the Lord. If you want to develop, you're going to develop more on that day than on the other days. You come to a, 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 an issue of spiritual withdrawal from the world on the Lord's day where the Lord fills your heart and then you have the spiritual disciplines of engagement the other six days of the work, work week and you're able to go out and be fruitful in the world. But you're called and made to worship. You're going to live in light of heaven? Well, that's what we're going to be doing. So we need to be planning on it and structuring our lives here. Chaos is in our world because the Sabbath day is neglected. Let's pray. Father, there'll be no chaos in heaven, and we're thankful for that. Bring the realities of your heaven into our lives every day, we pray. For the glory and honor of Christ, to whom we're united, who is seated at your right hand. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the indescribable gift of your Holy Spirit. We pray in thanksgiving. Amen.